Hi everyone, this is Christy, co-host of This Podcast is Overdue. A quick note before we jump into season two. The schedule for this season is going to be a little more sporadic than it was for season one. If you've listened to episode nine, then you know that April will be on leave for a few months. In the interim, I'll be recording episodes with some really lovely guests. I plan to have an episode per month, possibly with some surprises in between. The best way to keep up to date on the episodes is to subscribe. So just click on that subscribe button in your favorite podcast service. You can also stay up to date with new episodes and content by following our Instagram account. This pod is overdue. I'll be posting some mini book recommendations and news in addition to all the visuals that go along with each episode. So without further ado, let's get season two started. Hi, this is April Maza. And this is Christy Showman Fair. And this podcast is overdue. We're friends and co-workers, librarians, librarians, and each episode we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice for kids. Well, hi everyone. Welcome to season two of this podcast is overdue. I'm Christy Showman Fair, and I am one of your hosts. And if you've been listening for you know, all the episodes of our first season, you know that April is on leave right now. But what that means is that I get guests. And I'm super, super excited to say that my first guest is a good friend of mine who also happens to be a book person. So I'd like to introduce you to Emily Schwab. She is book buyer, social media lead, and events coordinator at Bookends in Winchester, Massachusetts, which is a lovely independent bookstore here on the North Shore. Are you technically North Shore or are you Metro West? You know, it's on the edge. On the edge. <laughs> on the edge know. of Boston, for Wait, those of you who are not in Massachusetts. I don't think, I don't think either side accepts us, honestly. Oh. I think we're like, <laughs> I think Wind- it's more Metro, I don't know. Metro North. <laughs> Metro North. I was going to be like Metro North, maybe. Winchester is um, a suburb of Boston. So for those of you who are not in Massachusetts or not here in the United States, but I'm super, super excited to have Emily here with us. Do you Hello, friend. Hi. Hi. Welcome. So uh, also for those of you who don't know, we record using Zoom. So we, I actually can see Emily and she's got the most fabulous cheese shirt on. Yes. Because Emily is also a cheese lover. Yes. There are three of my favorite cheeses on here. And the fourth is just a typo. <laughs> Cheddar, Cheddar, Gruyere, mozzarella. And I don't like Gouda, but it's on here. Okay. That's all right. I don't like the smoky cheeses. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you on that. Yeah. So what we've decided to do when we have a guest is to continue following the format that April and I have been doing, which is we talk about a book that we love. Then we answer a question about book land, library land. Then we talk about something that we've been learning. And then finally, something that we absolutely love. And so we're going to follow the same format today. And I would love to hear from Emily about a book that you've loved. Small apologies to Christy because oh, she no, does not like to apologize. <laughs> I know we are not duplicating this one. No. Because, but I had to because my favorite book this year, Feral Creatures by Kira Jane Buxton, came out yesterday officially. It's the sequel to Hollow Kingdom. As the author said, it's it's a sequel, but it's also a standalone. And I can see why she would say that. But anyway, I recommend both of them. They are hilarious and snarky and full of 
rude insults made by a <laughs> speaking crow. It's wonderful to read if you want to read something entertaining about the post-apocalypse adventures of a crow who thinks he's a human. And it's also sort of a environmental parable. Very interesting. Makes me laugh all the time. I probably can't tell you any of the insults because I hear this is a clean podcast. But you'll well, have we to can, I yourself. can edit them out. <laughs> There's some good stuff in here. Anyway, they're wonderful. And I know that Christy tried to read the first book and the zombies got her. No, no, it was not the zombies. Oh, wait, it was the talking no, animals. It's not your it thing. was the talking animals, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you know, I can hear that. There are some different things about this uh, style of writing, but yeah, I found it wonderful. And the talking animals are very interesting if you can get past that part. That's not your thing. But yes. I will say that, yeah. I, I mean, it definitely left an impact. I talked yes, about this yes. book to a lot of people. <laughs> and every time I see a crow now, I think about ST, yes, like right. every time. Yes, the, the hero, ST, yes. He, <laughs> he has a lot of things to say and he's not always, he doesn't always have his facts straight because he's a crow who basically learns about being a human from his human big gym in the first book. Who doesn't know everything about being a human either? Because who does? And also from TV shows. So he's sort of, um, he gets some facts a little bit off. Like in the second book, he talks about how humans can't even keep lettuce clean. They get Ebola all over it, like instead, <laughs> instead of E. coli, you know? So it's, a, it's, it's pretty hilarious. So I definitely recommend both these books. Go out and get them at your local indie bookstore. Or your library. Or library. It's okay. No, we, we really support uh, indie bookstores too. They're both awesome. Awesome. Now, are there other animals that talk this time? Because I know in the first yes. one, there are a couple other. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, there are a bunch of uh, intervening chapters between the main plot areas where there are talking spiders and talking polar bears and talking, what was one of them? Maybe there was an alligator. Yes, there are a lot of, there's, oh, there's a Scottish goat. Oh, fine. I forget if it's a sheep or goat, they're all the same in the archaeological record anyway, right? So, um, <laughs> and when I read that chapter, it was definitely with a bad Scottish accent um, in my head. But yes, there are, and there are some repeats from the first book. Some of the, the extra characters are back and it's it's very entertaining. Yes, I cool. love those parts. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I liked those, are they interstitial chapters? Those, yeah, those exactly. actually were my favorite uh, because oh, it was good. just, they're yeah. so like creative. I'd love to know the story about how she came about the, the the author came about the book because I feel like those could have been you know just a a writing prompt someday and that she's able true. to develop. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm totally I mean, making I, stuff up. I don't know totally. I did have the joy of interviewing her on Zoom a couple of days ago, and no way. Yeah, it was wonderful. I had I had done the same thing last year for her first book, and it was she's so fun. She's She's hilarious, as, as funny as her books. We did talk a little bit about how she came to write this, like, crazy imaginative stories. And she said that one of the things she was looking at in all of her characters, but also the interstitial characters, is that she wanted to bring out some animals that aren't always, like, maybe a little maligned, but also yeah. just not as popular 
you know, there's, it's not like fuzzy bunnies are talking. Yeah, it's like the you quirky, have, like, like, like totally yeah, The killer whales, mm-hmm. the killer whales get like some really like good brownie points in the second book and like the spider chapter and the like neurotic cheap and stuff like that. I mean, it's like, it's pretty wonderful. That's, that's part of what she was talking about when um, we asked her about those. Yeah. Excellent. Now, was that interview recorded for bookends? No, it was actually, I, I did record it, but it was for my personal like Instagram do book person, club. Do you, is that something that listeners can go find? Sure. My Instagram handle is paperbookreader. I haven't done a lot of posts recently at all, but one thing I do do every month is that I, is that I host a book reading. Um, we pick, we pick a book, my co-leader Alex and I, we pick a book and we have a couple of chats during the month to discuss it. And we don't always get an author zoom, but we've had a few, mostly we just discuss random books that we decide. They're not always new. It's really fun to be a part of it. We get a good group every month that we call it the paper cat book club because Alex's handle is illiterate cats. <laughs> I need to tell you for sure if you're going to write this down. Anyway, we'll, we'll put it cats. in the show notes. Yeah. So you can um, give it to her, me and her handle is, there. is illiterate cats and mine is paper book reader. And so we either had to do illiterate readers or paper cats <laughs> or paper cats. And I was like, all right, I go for illiterate readers and she like voted me out. So, <laughs> but anyhow, the paperback book club has been going on for a couple of years now and it's, it's a lot of fun. So we talk about cats. We, we share a lot of cat gifts and, and we talk about the books and Oprah also looms large. She's a favorite. That is the general gist of the book club. It's a lot of fun. That sounds amazing. I I love following what your your posts on Instagram and I'm I'm excited to share them with our readers. Uh, Me too. It's been, it's been enjoyable, especially, I mean, I just, I started it back the whole thing a couple of years ago and it was really entertaining, especially when the pandemic started and everyone was kind of stuck at home and so it was nice to have that community and something else to do with my reading. And I also feel like this is a good place to give a shout out to your book tracking method and oh, yeah. your notebook. <laughs> so for those of you who track your books in any way, shape or form, uh, you definitely should hop on over to Instagram and look at Emily's feed because she has the coolest, most meticulous book tracking <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. And I, I have some serious like, book tracking envy of your, your charts. So sweet. Christy is one of my biggest and earliest fans on my Instagram feed. She's the, with maybe a, one or two exceptions of the people who I know in real life who are like, no, this is like really good. Like I'm really enjoying, I'm actually reading. I'm like, no way. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> anyway. I do. I, I think yeah. part of that speaks to my borderline obsessive interest in Instagram, but your content really is fabulous. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. As I said, I've mostly been um, not posting for a while now, maybe five or six months, but there's some good back, you know, stories there. (laughs) Absolutely. And if you're looking for book recommendations, um, it's a great place to go. Yes. So yes, with the, um, the feral creatures, definitely it was, it was an honor to talk to Kira and it was wonderful because she talked me up to her agent publicist. Publicist, yes, young fellow who I talked to um, to get digital galleys for the whole group so that oh, everyone cool. could actually read it because it was coming out yesterday and we read it starting in the beginning. Right. So, 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was an awesome combo. Yay. Well, thank you for sharing. And I hope everybody uh, who listens gets a chance to, to pick it up too. Yes. Consider the book. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what so, did you read? Oh, thank you for asking. Um, so this, I was on vacation for two weeks and I took a big pile of books with like huge, with like this expectation that I would read a ton. And I didn't read as much as I did, although I did try to read every morning. Um, I went and okay. sat on the couch quiet in the quiet. Cause I was all, I'm often the first person up one of the books that I did finish um, was The Downstairs Girl by Stacey Lee. It oh. is a young adult historical fiction. I don't often pick up historical fiction. I used to think that I didn't like it. I always do, but it's just not something I, I tend to go yes. to. I tend to go towards fantasy, science fiction. Yes. I, I agree with historical fiction. I kind of, I go through stage phases and I read a lot of it. And yeah. I kind of get sick of World War II and then I <laughs> yeah yeah yep. well I I was in local bookstore and I was got I was like I need to take some books I didn't want to take library books because I didn't want to lose them or get them wet or you know so oh, I, yeah, I decided to, to go to our local mm-hmm. bookstore and the cover just struck me um so the cover has um a Chinese American young woman with this lovely hat on the cover and look she's kind of looking to the side I had heard of it I think it's one of those that was in an echo chamber of book talk um here mm-hmm. and there and so I just decided to grab it. I was not disappointed. It, so it is set in a Reconstruction era Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about 1889, somewhere around there. The main character is Joe Kwan. And she, at the beginning of the story, works for a milliner. She mm-hmm. is a, kind of an assistant. Yes, yes, she makes okay. hats. And she is fabulous at her job. She does these, makes these intricate knots that people want to know how to do. And she just is really great at it, but um, she loses her job. She's fired by the Mm -hmm. owner. And for the reason is that she has opinions and that people in Atlanta are uncomfortable with Chinese people. You know, it's a time where, um, you know, segregation and Jim Crow laws are just starting. And so, you know, one of the kind of side stories is the segregation of the streetcars in Atlanta. That's kind of like slowly building um, throughout yeah. the story. But um, Joe and her adoptive father are Chinese and people don't really know how to, to interact with them. They're not considered mm-hmm. Black, but they're also not right. white. It's and exactly. And okay. they're still definitely second class citizens in the city yeah. um and joe and her father and i, I say father i'm going to say father but he's yeah. he 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 raised her from infancy she doesn't know who her parents are but they live in a basement underneath the printing shop of um, one of the local newspapers and it is a space that was created by uh, abolitionists to um, protect runaway slaves yeah i should note i'm going to correct myself to protect people who were escaping enslavement and okay. I'm going to leave yes, that in yes, because yes. historically, Good you know, point. in school, we learned runaway slave as this like thing, but no, there are people who were enslaved who are then escaping um, to be yes. free. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm working, I'm learning constantly. But Same. so that space is <gasps> this kind of secret space and the printing, the family that owns the, um, the newspaper don't know that Joe and her father live in this space. So there's so many layers to the story. There's so many, there's like the, the mystery of who are Joe's parents. Yeah. Um, there is a, um, there's a, a big horse race coming up 
and all the like excitement and social maneuverings that that take place with that very reminiscent of kind of a Jane Austen type feel in the the conversations about social status Ah, and then there's also a new column in the newspaper that is Miss Sweetie uh, kind of a anonymous dear Abby kind of yes uh, that's what it sounds like uh-huh. yes and so there's that mm-hmm. layer of the, that actually reminded me a little bit of Bridgerton the ah. uh, that storyline like who I is have it? not seen or read any of that oh. yet which seems miraculous given the uh con- yes <laughs> like right the given the, like the cultural right conversation now, completely not <laughs> well it, 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 yeah. it like they're they're uh, reading the story felt similar in kind of that like storytelling genre of you know social maneuverings and status um and how that plays into everything Downton Abbey um kind of feel too like we're talking about we have and even with the title the downstairs girl we have this like glimpse into the people who make society work so all of the people who work in the household so joe's friend is the cook at this big estate she's also friends with a young man who um works in the back facility of a of a a store like like an early department store but then we also get glimpses into the high society old money yes and i just thought it was so fascinating but with lots of really great conversations about race and uh racism and um women's status and actually like a really great uh sub story on the women's suffrage movement ah, because that also is part of it that's but right also, that was like, going on then yeah, yeah but also like how white it was You know, that it wasn't women's suffrage, women in general, but that it was white women. Yes, it absolutely was. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. And I love that it's, you know, parallel societies basically is what um, the author is describing, but obviously like they're right next to each other. They're intricately entwined, but not really. Right. And also like how, how much the customers, I don't know, like, I don't know what to call customer service class of people, how much Mm. they know about everything, but they have to, they have to know society rules and the comings and goings of everybody, but then the vice versa isn't true at all. Oh, for sure. And I'm sure, and I'm sure that when customers come into the milliner's shop, for example, they would not even think of, you know, hiding any kind of gossip they would be talking about because right. like who cares if they, they're, not they're, people. they're not even like really people yeah. right exactly they're not important enough to like worry about whether they're overhearing mm-hmm. whatever they're saying but it's so ridiculous it's so, but yes I, yeah. I imagine that's what but I, I thought it was thoroughly like engaging, very interesting. I read it, read it very quickly because the, the book I read before it was long and fabulous. And I actually, I debated which one I was going to talk about um, in this episode because I, I loved both of them. But I, I picked The Downstairs Girl because there were so many aspects to talk about and because I learned a lot too. I don't think I realized that there was a, a significant Chinese American population in Atlanta in I wouldn't have thought the of that late 1800s. In, that, in that time. Yeah. It was part of the white plantation owners reaction to abolition of slavery. Then they're like, well, what do we do now? Well, why don't so we they, just bring in a lot of people from China to work that's the plantation? Like, oh great. We can like pay them mm-hmm. a little bit, maybe. Yeah. But at least we're not enslaving black people anymore. Yeah. 
and not that it, I mean, it, it just, <sighs> all it did was create more strife and, yes. and another group That's of people horrible. who don't yeah, have enough that that money or food <clears throat> or have yeah. no place in society from the white perspective. There's a fabulous author's note, which I always love, like back yes. matter is like, yes, yes. You know, just know. wonderful. And apparently Stacey Lee has written a number of other uh, books. And so I'm really excited about looking for Oh, those. good. I was just about to ask if it was her first or. Uh, no, I don't have the book in front of me right now, but I think it was like fourth or fifth. Oh, great. So there's yeah. a bunch more to read by this author. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Emily. What we do yes, next is we always talk about a question that a listener has about books or libraries. And the question I have for you, since you are a book buyer, yes, how do you select the books for your bookstore? Well, basically what I do is I'm the, the front list book buyer for bookends, which means that I select the books before they're published. Uh, anything that is already out or people need to restock someone else at the store deals with those orders that would be backlist for front list orders you're basically going on the synopsis that the publishing company has provided usually you get to see the cover of the book sometimes there are excerpts or digital or paper arc or galley that you can read Although, how would I have time to read all those um, ahead of time? They're not always available. And so that's a tough one to do. Um, and the other thing is the comps. We get a list of comparable titles that we sold or didn't sell by the author or comparable titles by another author. And we see how many that those other books sold. And you kind of make, you kind of have to make a snap judgment based on what you know about the store you're buying for. I've been working there a couple of years. So at this point, I'm pretty familiar with the clientele we get, how much we sell of different genres or different authors or, you know, topics. And then there's a little bit in there of, okay, what time of year is this coming out? Is this mm -hmm. coming out in September or October? Then it's probably a really big book, a really important title, but also we might need extra because it's hard to get books in quickly during the holiday season. And those books are going to want to be on the shelves still in November, December. And so that time of year, when I did the fall orders, I had to think about not only which books would I purchase for the store, but how many and try to balance, right. you know, you don't want to get too many. We don't have a, a huge amount of space in the store, but you also don't want to be caught flat-footed and say, oh, well, we don't have any more of that really important title because, right. you know, we didn't, sometimes you get surprised, but you ideally would not be <laughs> completely surprised, especially during the holiday season. The other times of year, it's easier to get reprints or, you know, an extra uh, order in. So the fall titles, I tend to bump up the numbers a little bit, the rest of the year, not so much. Yeah, you just have to kind of guess, uh, look at what the book is about how it if it grabs you like whether the cover looks like it will grab people in the store you want to know how many books your particular store would need to have on the shelf in order for that book to like get a space on like the front table with a stack of books like for fiction 
hard covers, it's, I usually go for um, at least three if I want the book to be on the front table for a hardcover, maybe more like five for a paperback or, you know, are there enough for like the, the face out for the, for the book to be like facing out towards the customers? You know, how important is this book to me? Do I think it's really wonderful? Do I just want to like push this book on other people or, or do I know that they're going to buy it of their own accord? Kind of there's sometimes I go for ones that I just really, really love and hope for the best. Now, do you, where in the process are book reviews? Are you often purchasing, having to make these decisions before the reviews come out? Or do you oh, get sure. reviews as part mm-hmm. of that process too? A lot of the reviews don't come out until much later. Right now, I'm have, I have to make decisions on, for example, paperback versions of hardcover books that haven't come out yet. The hardcover books are coming out this fall and I have to decide how many paperbacks we want in February. And I'm <laughs> And, this know, is when I wish we had of, video because my jaw literally just dropped. <laughs> <laughs> it's and so that I've been I noticed a few of those recently and I thought, oh gosh, okay, well, you know, you just have to go with it and see what you can come up with that makes sense wow. for your store. But no, but I also, usually there aren't many reviews. Occasionally there would be like for a really big one, you know, there are beta readers and like smaller mm-hmm. groups of people who you might get a good review from. And also sometimes ahead of time when the, the publishing rep writes up the information in the catalog for you to see, it will include uh, something like, we expect a lot of publicity because X, Y, and Z, this author mm-hmm. is booked already on these shows or like those kinds of things you kind of know are going to be really big or this author, this book has already been picked for like a secret person's like book club and we're like okay that's gonna be one of the big five or something like that yeah. so that's those are other things but you don't always get those obviously because that's not all the books so I used to do a lot of purchasing for yeah. public libraries yes and your cycle is so much more ahead of, of a library oh, really? cycle because mm-hmm. well I mean I was just thinking that like the fact that you are thinking about the the paperback version of a hardcover book that they don't even really know how, I mean, I guess they know how well the hardcover sold into bookstores, but if it's not out yet, then they don't even know how well it's gone to other places. So yeah, that um, blew my mind when that happened. I thought, they must love that book. (laughs) You know, for a library, we primarily looked at reviews and occasionally mm-hmm. have, um, you know, advanced copies that come in or yeah. uh, publishers catalogs, especially now, actually, I feel like we're getting a lot more digital stuff coming yes. uh, down the line uh, or, you know, going to conferences and seeing what's, what's out there and what the publishers are talking about or, or preview events, but we're not thinking that far in advance, you know, for what bigger timeline, mostly for yours for the library purchasing? I mean, for, for bigger titles, it, it, it could be a couple months before a book mm-hmm. comes out, especially for like, you know, the well-known stuff or, or yeah. book another in a series. You know, I have very vivid memories of the Harry Potter books coming out <laughs> and they the like show up. Yeah, yes. right? Because that is like always, like it was like a thing. Yeah. The book boxes would show up. We'd already have ordered however many mm-hmm. copies we yes. knew. And so the boxes would show up with these big orange stickers on them. That's yes. like, don't do open not until release like, until exactly. this day. Exactly, you basically can't, except prepare them. Right, before. because for, for libraries, you want to have the books ordered so that there's a record in the catalog so people can place holds on the, in the catalog before the Mm -hmm. book comes out. Mm -hmm. But I think that your kind of 
like the demand for prescience with you is also on how many copies, which yes, yes, that's true in a library, but in a lot of library systems, especially here in Massachusetts, where live public libraries are part of a network. And so, you know, you're one library. True. Yes. Good point. You may think, <clears throat> okay, I want two copies of this book, but it, even if that isn't enough, there are other copies in the, mm -hmm. the network. And so yep. people are waiting on this list. That's actually maybe 25 copies instead of just two. Whereas you have to, you really yes. need to kind of be right. Right. As a completely independent store. Yeah. We don't have a second, you know, storefront to, <laughs> to back us up with that sort of, yes, that's true. That's and how, um, how quickly can you get a book? If you do, you know, underestimate how many mm -hmm. copies you need of a title, how quickly mm -hmm. can you get something? If somebody says, well, no, I really want to order it. Well, we can, we can get most titles, most big titles within a few days. Uh, so it's not too bad. We've got a great system, a lot of warehouses we can draw from. But yeah, it's, the shelves are relatively small yeah. um, in, in our store. We have a giant, comparatively speaking to other local bookstores, we have a giant uh, children's section, which is great. But in general, it's just, it's not that big of a store. Yeah, you have to kind of watch the numbers when you buy. Yeah. <laughs> but buy books ahead of time. Does it feel like a lot of pressure? Not really. Or like good pressure, exciting. It's, it's exciting. It's um, it's good pressure. When I started doing this um, part of my job uh, four or five months ago, it was just exciting. It was just about like a lot of responsibility, but like good responsibility. Yeah. Um, because I felt like I was ready for this kind of role because I did know the store really well. And on the boring side of things, I knew how to do the database already or the ordering system that we have. Some titles, I feel the pressure and I look at a title that is supposed to be this really big book. And I'm like, I don't think our store is going to sell that many of those particular mm -hmm. ones. But I feel like, you know, depending on the time of year again, like whether it'll right. be easy to get another one, I'm like, okay, I'll get more. But in the end, it's not too stressful because I know that we can get things quickly if I don't buy enough. If I buy too many, we can return them. It's not life or death situation. It's like, it's true. It's like people's guy. It's, it's, you know, it's not. I just have this, great. this mental image to He-Man on top of the rock. Be like, I have the power. Grayskull. <laughs> so, so cool. Yeah, it's awesome. I feel like oh, big muscles. It's like even cooler than just working at a bookstore, which was cool to start with. Thank you for sharing. Yes. So next we're going to move on to our learning section. And I am super excited because this is the first time, you know, again, first time we have a guest, but also to first time then I get to ask somebody else what they're learning, who isn't somebody I learn with all the time. Are you kidding? We learn a lot together. Well, I, but yes, yes. <laughs> but, but I mean like. Not this sort I, of thing. Not in we're my not day to day talk job. About yes. Okay. So <gasps> I have been learning. Christy sees the Rubik's Cube and she's gasping. But I, also, um, I've never seen one that looks like that. Yes, let me introduce you to, this is called the tower shape Rubik's Cube. And for everyone listening at home without the visual, it is a rectangular shape. It's two cubes two, by four two, cubes. Yes, it's two four by four cubes on top of each other. I never had a Rubik's Cube growing up. 
I blame my parents. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't, anyway, but I'm fascinated right now because we picked up this Ooh. Bluetooth enabled one, which is a Wait. different brand. This is a Go Cube, I think. Bluetooth like. enabled Rubik's yes. Cube. Yes. And so this one, you hook up to your app on your phone and you you know, set them up together and you can move it and it knows exactly where the, sh- the colors are and it walks you through how to solve it, which is really helpful because I don't know what I'm doing clearly. Yeah. And so the problem, what I want to talk about mostly is that the problem with this shape cube, the rectangular tower is that, <laughs> watch this. It's like, okay, so great. I can basically, I can solve like one side. And then after that, I'm like, I'm toast. Like I, you know, after that, everything gets messed up and I can't redo it. And I can't do two solve two sides basically at the same time. So I need a lot of learning that I'm doing. My point is that once you start rotating it, you'll see that you can rotate it this way also. And so you rotate it kind of perpendicular on perpendicular planes sort of to each other. And then you start going like this. This is really hard to talk about visually, but you go like this. And once you like rotate it a few times, like there's no going back. Like it's just random whether you'll ever get it back to the tower shape. So I'm a little, oh my so now that I'm doing gosh. this as a demonstration, like it's, it's going to be a few days before I even get it back to something I can try to solve because it now looks like, oh my gosh, an MC Escher building. I'm going to have to find a video or maybe you could, like, find... maybe you could do a video of yourself ah! and we can post it. Brilliant. I, anyway. I'm, I'm not a Rubik's cube expert by any stretch of the imagination actually I do have a friend who can do spe- speed cubes actually we know somebody also yes. I know a couple her, different people her, who do speed and her daughter and her, right super impressive but a couple of years ago my now 12 wanted one and wow. I thought I'd be smart and get the the two cube by two cube so it's four uh-huh. you yeah. look at it, it's four on each side like thinking that was easier tower. yeah uh-huh it's not easier. And the reason no. it's not, no. And this is what I learned is that the original, right, has mm-hmm. three by three. And that, which means that there's always a center cube that stays the same. So you always know what color yes. is supposed to be there. That's what I learned from the Go Cube. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know that before. But the ones that are even have no center cube. Yeah. And so then you're basically screwed. But I am, I'm totally impressed yeah. because I can't. Thank you. So I've been enjoying it. I like to fiddle with stuff sometimes Mm -hmm. and it's been really fun, but it's never going to get solved. Let's be honest. It's going to be a few years before I actually learn my way to the end of this, but it's been, it's been a good time. (laughs) Do you watch videos or just kind of, are you just kind of, I mean, I I use the app for this one sometimes. Okay. I did once I, when I had the tower one and I realized how deep I was in trouble, I did Google how do you solve this rectangular Rubik's cube thing? Because the Rubik's cube website doesn't include this shape. Really? I don't understand why. Hmm. It doesn't include an instruction manual for this one. It does for all the other ones. And I'm like, I'm a little. That's how you know it's advanced. I know, I know, right? So anyhow, I did find a one video, but I didn't end up watching it. So no, I haven't watched any videos on it. There is a TikTok creator that I can't think of his name right now, but he does speed cubes and then takes a bunch of like, you know, like 50 cubes and then gets some picture patterns and then creates like a large mural picture, oh, like a pixelated I've seen picture. Doing that. I watch yeah. a lot of 
his videos mm-hmm. on and I I'm baffled every time yeah but none of them are the this tower I've never seen that tower before. yeah I'm I'm impressed it's one of those okay so one day I don't know 25 years ago I saw someone on the subway doing just standing there like you know kind of balanced on the upright bar not really holding on just standing there doing origami and this intricate just standing there doing origami after origami and I thought this is sort of like that like if you could stand on the subway and be like yeah but if you knew what you were doing you could yeah um, but, I goals, right? I, but I don't but I'm more likely <laughs> to figure this one out than the origami so that's why I'm here yeah yeah exactly cool wow so, that's awesome what, what are you learning about there's always a lot. I actually stayed up late last night because I wanted to use something that I'd learned on science TikTok, science talk, um, science talk. Okay, yeah, cool. science talk. Um, and so I was just going to talk about science talk in general, but then I kind of remembered that one of the things I've been most excited about on TikTok recently is this creator named Alexis Nicole. Mm-hmm. Her full name is Alexis Nicole Nelson. Uh, she actually was featured in a New York Times article in July. I think I stumbled upon one of her videos early in July. Um, She's a forager. And so she Uh goes out into the wilderness, even like backyards Uh or just, you know, on a walk, finding edible mushrooms and and plants and then talks about how she cooks them. But she is. I follow someone like that. Yeah. Is it the same person? Oh, okay. I don't remember if that's her first name or not. Oh, by Um, the way, I just got it back to town. (gasps) I don't know what happened. There you go. It's, it's really anyway, fiddling, continue right? with your foraging discussion. Yeah. So, but Alexis Nicole is just this like big force, happy and funny. And um, her like end tagline is happy foraging, don't die. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Which makes me giggle every time and also terrifies me because yeah. like, well, I'm not gonna do this because I yeah, I have bad luck. Yeah, yeah I would not do it either. Right? <laughs> but I, I I love like I, I learned about how you can take green black walnuts and create uh-huh. a liqueur with them. And I actually sent oh, that video yeah. to my neighbor because she has a walnut tree that she's constantly annoyed by. I've learned a lot about like plants that are in my neighborhood because I, I walk my dog and I, I walk on the rail trail and there's a lot of wild vegetation on the side. Some things I recognize, some things I don't, but watching these videos because she's showing and talks about how to identify the plants versus other plants and then talks mm-hmm. about ways to cook them. I've kind of felt like maybe I could do this. Like Yesterday I uh, was walking the dog and I noticed a patch of Queens and lace and I now know that it's a carrot. Wait, what? Yes. Does it look like a carrot underneath? I don't know. Like, is it really like, now I actually pull one out. Can you, I don't, I don't, I will. Yes. I should have known that beforehand. I didn't pick it. She talked, she had talked about it. Um, cause she actually took the flowers and breaded them and fried them. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Because you can eat them because that sounds nice. They're in the carrot family. The article in the New York Times was also just fabulous. It's called um, How Black Foragers Find Freedom in the Natural World. And it was written by Cynthia Greenlee, published on July 30th. Mm -hmm. It is behind a firewall. So, you know, sometimes it's a little challenging to get to. Um, But I was able to read it on my phone. In addition to just talking about foraging as a practice, um, it talked about the social historical implications of African-Americans in the U.S. and how foraging was part of the food practice and the food right. history, yep. um, the culture, but then also then today, how there are all these instances of Black people in nature being then called out by yes. white people. 
right? Yes, I imagine. Yes. So my learning has like all these layers of like one, just I'm learning about plants and I'm super excited about it. And I kind of tempted to try to make some of these things that she's, that Alexis Nicole has made, but also thinking a lot about my privilege and how, if I'm, you know, traipsing around in nature and pick a mushroom, I have a lot of freedom there that I think a lot, uh, many people in this country no going to report you for that. Right. Right. But if you were black, then you never know. Cause honestly, yeah. It could happen, unfortunately. Yeah. The last part of this too is uh, she, Alexis Nicole had a um, video, I think it was maybe early in August, maybe later, I, I forget where it was, but she was talking about wildfires and um, national parks and how um, the history of national parks actually took away a lot of the foraging practices yeah, of Native not. Americans yeah. and how that foraging practice and then control fire burns by Native Americans actually prevented these huge wildfires that we're seeing. Yes. And I'm originally yes. from California. Wildfires are an annual problem. They are way worse than I ever knew of them as a child. A big part of that is because people aren't foraging. People aren't. The, the land management is just yes. not there anymore, apparently. Right. Right. So much learning, but it's still really, really fun. I've sent the videos to a bunch of people because um, I laugh cool. really, laugh yeah. really hard. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Yeah. I like my that. husband's <laughs> constantly making fun of me for my TikTok. Seriously, <laughs> I learn so much. You should pick some sort of foraged item and then feed it to him and see what happens. I should make sure it's one that's not going to make sure it's stick, a safe right? one. Yeah. <laughs> make sure it's a safe one. I don't wish ill on him. You're lovely. You're lovely. <laughs> You're listening there. <laughs> he doesn't. Anyway, he doesn't. <laughs> oh my gosh. So last, yes, we have our love section mm. and I would, I'm, I'm super excited to hear what you're loving uh, these days. Okay. So I love pizza, <laughs> but wait a second. It's not a general pizza fan club here, although it kind of is, but what I want to talk about is this local pizza that appears in August every year for corn season, local corn season. Oh my God, that's the most brilliant pizza ever. So basically there is a, a small pizza chain locally called Za, Z-A. Mm. Um, they've been around, gosh, probably a dozen years. I've been going to them since they opened. There is a branch near me and I think there's only two branches. Anyway, they're, they have always had this particular pizza on their menu, started out didn't really have a name, but the, but the ingredients were mashed potato, sauteed potato chunks, thyme, and bacon. And, and I used to call it the potato, potato, bacon pizza, obviously. And so <laughs> as the years went by, this literally has been like a dozen years of loving this pizza. They started to call it the old school potato pizza, which is what they call it now. It's always on the menu now. It used to be a special. And then one year... A miracle occurred and they started putting local corn on it during the local corn season in August every year. And so I can't say enough about this pizza. It is brilliant and delicious and corny. And <laughs> I mean, what, what's, what else would you possibly want on a pizza besides bacon and corn? 
And honestly, like, I'm not a weird topping on a pizza person, but this is. I have so many questions though. Does it have, have a, sauce a lot of base? answers? No, like, it's no. mashed potato sauce. Okay. So it's, yes. it's dough, mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. potatoes, bacon, corn. potatoes, bacon, corn, thyme, thyme, thyme sprinkles. Wow. Oh, I mean, it's like, I, when August comes around, I buy two at a time and I freeze one because it's a limited time item. <laughs> I need my corn pizza. Oh, it's brilliant. This is the best time of year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I may have to, to go. I, I don't eat bacon, but I know people yes. in my house do Yes. and they would love that. Well, yes. maybe, okay. Maybe just my husband would love that. Cause I just realized my children don't eat potatoes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where they mine doesn't from. either. Yes. Um, but I, I actually do. I, I do really like different types of toppings. I'm not a traditionalist when it comes to pizza. So that sounds nice. You might like some of their other offerings. Yeah. So I highly recommend them. Cool. Cool. Yes. Yes. What do you love right now? So I have been reading aloud and I, I know that sounds simple. My kids are older now, you know, they're one's turning 12 tomorrow and the other one's eight. I don't do read alouds all the time anymore because, you know, they don't always want to, Mm -hmm. but my 12 and I are reading hunger games out loud. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's funny because she's, has always been a big reader independent of me. We haven't done a read aloud in a long, long time because she always is reading her own thing. And then now she's a tween and, you know, has her like her screens and her music she's very into music so and actually that's how this happened she discovers music on her own has this like playlist that has like 800 songs on it and uh, we were listening to her music in the car one day and one of the songs is it the hanging tree from the movie came on and I have no no idea idea how she found it (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and it's actually Jennifer Lawrence singing um James Corner is the the composer and the song came on and she was like, I think we should add this to our summer vacation playlist. And I was like, no, it's sad. And she's like, it's sad. I'm like, uh, yeah. So I'm driving, I'm telling her kind of like the, the short version of the Hunger Games story. Yes. And I like burst out into tears <laughs> so oh, no. like, because I was like, I got to the part where like Katniss yes. like, volunteers for Prim and I was like, yes, I yes. can't. And, and she was so shocked like that this story you know evoked such emotion so I was like we know I'll get a copy of it from the library and we'll read it and so we've been reading it out loud we read you know my goal was to read a chapter at night the chapters are pretty long but it's such an enjoyable like not it's not a happy book but it's like yes but so well written and it's a Mm -hmm. good read aloud it's an easy book to read aloud versus some books you know are very hard I won't say I'm reading one out loud to the eight and it is not enjoyable to read out loud (laughs) Um, I but, can imagine any number of things that yeah, might not be enjoyable. I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> but hung, we actually end up often reading two or three chapters a night because it's we, neither of us can go. And the, the cliffhangers yeah. each, at the end of each chapter. Uh, just uh-huh. like, oh my gosh. And I'm just really, really enjoying it. I'm enjoying the time that we have together to read. We've been doing it every night, just the two of us. We I snuggle up on the couch or in our bed. And, and last night I, 
I was like, I was getting tired. My, my voice was having a hard time reading. And yeah. my husband was nearby and he's he suggested to the 12 to, to read a chapter out loud. And she was yeah. like, no, I can't do that. Mom does really great voices. And I was like, wait, I've been That's doing voices. Awesome, first like, of all. I didn't even yes. realize mm-hmm. because it, you know, I, a former children's librarian, I love reading out loud to people. I, I did always like work really hard on voices and I kind of forgot that part of me because I hadn't done it in so long. And so, yeah, reading out loud, it's been a lot of fun. And I, I don't know if we'll end up doing the whole series together or if if she'll just end up reading the rest of the series on her own. She doesn't know this yet, but we bought her the box set that includes the prequel for her birthday. birthday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have all four books. I haven't read the prequel yet. I've not actually out. read them. I saw some of the movies. Oh, but. yeah. No, it's very well written. Uh, Suzanne Collins is just a fabulous author. Her other series, uh, great, the, um, I loved Gregor the Overlander. Um, I always uh, recommended yes, yes. to to younger readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, descriptions. I mean, there definitely are some, some problematic things. Um, I actually was thinking about it last night oh. about how, um, you know, Rue... And the, the characters from District 11 are kind of used. I mean, they, they, she does have a character and a character development, but she is kind of used as a plot device to evoke uh, sympathy. And that yes. makes me feel squeaky. But yes. in general, I think the, the series itself gives such an awesome ability to have conversations. And I think that's the other part about reading aloud is not just the, the fun and the, the voices and stuff, but because we're reading aloud, out loud, we have this opportunity to have conversations Shared about social justice and stuff yeah right. I love that part that's very yeah that's great with kids yeah yeah so reading very cool yeah that's a great thing to love right now so I like it that's it that's our that's we our it. we did it thank you so much for being my first guest you're welcome um, we made it so easy and fun it's and been lovely to see you it's been lovely um, to see you too. Yeah. And um, for all of our listeners, um, mm-hmm. we will have all of our information on our show notes, which is tinyurl.com slash this pod. Please consider following us on Instagram, which is this pod is overdue. And you can send questions to us at this pod is overdue at gmail.com. And I also highly, highly recommend that you follow Emily on Instagram at paperbookreader. Go buy your books at Bookends in yep. Winchester, Massachusetts. So I'll, I'll share their information as well. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thanks, Christy. Thanks for listening to This Podcast is Overdue with Christy and April. Bye, everyone. Happy reading. Our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. Cheddar, Gruyere, mozzarella, and I need a fourth. Parm. Parm. Mm. Parmesan. Cheese. Cheese, grommet.